Welcome to the Plan Vision Podcast, where we share simple, straightforward investment and planning ideas for normal people. The description in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Do not construe this as personal tax, financial, or legal advice for your situation. Hey there, this is Mark Sorrell with the Plan Vision Podcast. I'm going to interview Jason Lynch with Plan Vision. We're going to talk about um, capital gains and um, some considerations if you're selling them for Americans here. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mark. How are you? Good, good. So first of all, can you explain what a capital gain is? Sure. So we have capital gains and capital losses that result from selling investment property for either more or less than your purchase price, including other costs, which is known as basis. So the difference between sales amount and basis is your capital gain or capital loss. Right. So you buy something, it goes up in value, and you have a capital gain. Yes. But it's an unrealized gain if you don't sell it. It becomes realized when you sell whatever it is that you bought. That's right. And here in the States, what are the different holding periods? Right. So we have short-term capital gain or loss, which merely means if you've held the asset for less than 12 months, if you've held it for 12 months plus one day, that is long-term treatment. Okay. And they're taxed differently, right? Right. Short-term capital gains get taxed at your ordinary income rates, which is less preferable. And long-term capital gain is taxed at capital gain tax rates. So the way things stand right now, capital gains rates, long-term capital gains rates are lower than income, than, than, than income tax rates, correct? That, that is correct. And in fact, the lowest capital gain tax rate right now is 0%. Okay. So, so what that means is you may end up in the, you may end up paying nothing on your, some of your capital gains, depending upon the amount that they are and what your tax is, right? Correct. That's correct. Okay. And I don't want to get, we don't want to get bogged down in this, but just a clarification is let's say that I have no reportable income, nothing, zero, but I have a $2 million capital gain. That right. doesn't mean that I'm not going to pay anything on my capital gain. That's no, true. unfortunately not. Okay. So the calculation itself is a little bit more complicated than just that. All right. Right. And individual people can, you know, based on your situation can explore that. Yes. Um, okay. So um, let's talk about how people really end up investing. Cause primarily we're talking about investments in ETFs and mutual funds um, and a point of clarification uh, Jason, we're only talking about, in this case, investments in taxable or brokerage accounts. We're not talking about investments in Roth IRAs or simple IRAs or 401ks or things like that. That's exactly correct. Right. We're, we're, right now, we're concentrating on the taxable brokerage investment accounts. We're not talking about IRAs or uh, 401k, 403b. Sure. Okay. So... How does this, 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 um, these different rates of time work? Let's say that I bought an investment. Uh, I bought an ETF in 2015, and then I bought it in 2000. I just bought it last week. So does that mean that my, my, my time frame for all my investments is back, go back to 2015, or how does that work? Right. So it's actually dictated by what you're selling. So the ones that you bought back in 2015 – yield would would garner you long-term 
treatment. However, if you just brought recently, it's less than one year of holding. Therefore, the newer purchases would be treated as short-term. So I have to pay attention. In other words, each time I buy, I got to pay attention to how long I held on to that thing for, right? If I held it on, if I'm going to sell before 12 months, it's a short-term capital gain. If I sell after 12 months, it's a long-term capital gain. That's right. And it is important to differentiate, not to just sell what you happen to look at, but if you, you may want to sell the long-term first, generally you want to. Okay. Um, and also, if you have an investment that produces dividends and you reinvest those dividends, they're going to buy more shares, right? So that right. back to that example where I bought the thing in 2015, that was my only time I sent in money. Along the way, that investment could have been doing, kicking out dividends and having a whole bunch of separate buys, right? Right, and that's known as tax lots. So you would have your original purchase, let's say it's 10,000. And if you're having monthly distributions reinvested, each month you're going to have a new purchase, a new tax lot. And remember, because you were reinvesting, you were still paying tax on all those distributions on your annual tax return. Okay, has income tax or has a dividend and all that. And then it gets right. reinvested. So should I have been keeping a note of this all these years, have some big giant Excel spreadsheet that tracked the amount that I bought and when I bought it? Or, or how does this work with these various custodians right. as far as so tracking this? The good news is that one good thing that came out of the old 2008 economic act in the financial crisis was that brokerage firms were required to track and provide basis known as covered investments for mutual fund holders. So in your, in your case, you bought originally in 2015 and you reinvested each month. So those are deemed covered shares because they occurred after 2012. And if you sell, your, your custodian will provide you a beautiful report showing each sale and the actual cost that's associated with it and the holding period. Okay. So when you use the word covered, what that means, it's not like a covered option or anything. All that means is the custodian's job is to track this when you bought it and how much you bought and all that, right? Correct, because the, the non-covered, it's called non-covered or covered. Non-covered occurred prior to 2012. And if you had bought your mutual fund or ETF back in, in 2009, that would be called a non-covered sale. The, bro the custodian does not report that cost okay. to the IRS. You have to provide it. Okay. Now, in a lot of these cases, people are going to be buying a lot of these different funds and mutual funds and ETFs over time. And so what's going to happen is each one of these buys is going to have its own rate of return. Like you may have bought at a very high your, your ETF or your mutual one is more expensive. You bought it was less expensive. So when it comes time to sell the ETFs or the mutual funds, you've got some decisions to make about how you're, which lot you're going to identify, correct? That's correct. And so can you describe those methods? Sure. So the, there, there are six cost basis methods used for mutual funds and ETFs. And 
The most common are average cost, which is used for mutual funds, ETFs. You have the first in, first out method, meaning your first purchases are the first ones out, mm -hmm. last in, first out. Highest in, meaning that the highest cost in, first out. Lowest in, first out. And then specific identification. And, and this identifies exactly the shares purchased on a particular date. So the two most common are specific ID and the average cost method. So with specific ID, who does that? Who, who, who identifies them? Right. So you have to, in Vanguard, you merely check a box under your account maintenance information that says, I want to use specific identification method for my cost basis. Uh, so it's you, me, it's, it's, the, it's the account holder that has to identify what, so you, you just go through and you pick the ones that you want to sell? Well, the, the account holder has to say, I want to use specific identification method. I see. And then when you log in to pick and choose what you're going to sell, yes, you physically have to go in and identify which tax lots mm -hmm. you plan to sell. And I think you believe it's preferable to do specific identification. Yeah, it definitely is because you could have lots of different purchases over time. And if you end up using the average cost method, then you're averaging your costs from, heck, maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And it's de definitely preferable to use specific ID, sell the ones you want to. Okay. So I'm using specific ID then. So how would I, like, why would I pick one lot over another one? What would be that my decision-making process there? Sure. So when you're selling ETFs or mutual funds, generally you want to sell the units with the smallest amount of gain and the largest amount of loss in order to minimize taxable gains and maximize losses. Okay. So I want to sell the ones with either a loss or with the, the most minimal gain. Exactly correct. Yes. Just because I'm not going to pay as much in taxes. Right. If, if, if you need to raise money and you are selling everything with a large gain, well, you're going to have to pay tax. If you can identify and minimize your gain or even take losses, uh, you're still going to get that same amount of proceeds. Yes. But you're not going to have to have a, as high of a tax bill. Okay. But there might be situations where I'm okay taking a gain, right? Like if I, if I didn't make any money at all this year and for whatever reason, and I, I can deal with some gains, I can, I mean, I may be zero. Like I may not have to pay anything, right? Right. Because if you have a very low income and you have sales, look, you don't want to capture the, the capital losses. You, you know, you'd be carrying them forward. But if, if you can get capital gains and pay no tax on them, yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. So the decision is generally speaking, you're working, what, you know, you're, you're retired and you're producing income off your pensions or your social security that normally you would try to keep your capital gains as small as possible, except in circumstances where your income is low and it's just preferable for you to realize some gains that you can absorb. Right. That's right. Because again, the general plan is to capture your losses and defer the gains there. And as you mentioned, there are some circumstances where you, you don't want to defer the gains, but, but generally you do. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
So in many respects, this doesn't sound that difficult, at least with how these, probably with how these large custodians are set up like Schwab and Fidelity and Vanguard. Can they typically handle this pretty well for, for their clients? Right. They, their software is really state of the art and they do a good job of taking a complicated process and making it okay. easy to deal with. If you and I were, were tracking it on our spreadsheets, it would be cumbersome and tedious. Sure. However, it, they've already done it with all their software. It's okay. very easy. So let's just say that I do this. I sit down, I, go, I need my, my, my $50,000. I'm gonna buy a house and I go in, I do the math and I sell a bunch of lots. Mm -hmm. And um, I end up having, let's say, $12,000 worth of gains and maybe $4,000 worth of losses. So the net gain is $8,000 to me. And let's just say it's all long-term. I'll get yep. a 1099 too, the, the beginning of the following year from my custodian that will, right. um, uh, that will be what I need to do my taxes. Right, the, right. The 1099 will, will just show your proceeds. It'll show... Uh, all the information required to report on your tax return. And again, if the, if the purchases originally are made after January 1st of 2012, your custodian will provide your cost basis automatically because I it's see. covered. If you've got some older shares out there, they may not necessarily provide okay. that basis. Okay. So final question, I'm curious, um, I don't know if you know the answer to this, but let's just say that I did this in, um, you know, in 2019, I sold some stuff and I did specific identification. And then now it's this year and I need more money and I go online. Can I use a different method or is it once you pick a method for your approach, you have to stick with it for your account? Right. After you choose your method, you have to stick with it for your account. So, um, you know, okay. my recommendation is use specific identification method because okay. you control. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Oh, Great. one quick one. Yep. Schwab has what they call a tax lot optimizer. It's okay. trademarked and Schwab uh, customers are able to use this tax lot optimizer because Schwab does go through and it will identify the short-term losses first from greatest short-term loss to least short-term okay. loss and so on and so forth. So it's very cool. Okay. And can I override that though, if I want? Yes. Okay. Yep. It's only a guide. It's not a, sure. a definitive have to follow. Okay, great. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Plan Vision podcast. Let us know if you have any questions or comments on the topics covered.